podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Jamie. Welcome back, Jamie. Don't think we've had you on the pod for a while. I'm sure yep. a lot of Been our listeners while, will yeah. remember the good Scottish voice. In a... <laughs> yeah, it is International Week, so we will definitely be having a focus on Scotland and Scott McTominay. It's going to be one of the main talking points what's been going on international week we are recording this on tuesday we're also going to be talking about man united takeover we actually delayed this podcast because i was hoping there was going to be some major news on the takeover but it must be about the sixth time in the past year that i've delayed this pod hoping for some major news on this thing and it still hasn't come you know tomorrow is actually going to be one year since the glazers first announced they were looking at investment and everybody thought they were going to sell but yeah 12 months later, we're still not anywhere with that. Uh, since we last recorded, there was actually a couple of matches. There was uh, Copenhagen and Luton. Um, we'll touch on those. I was at the Women's Manchester Derby on Sunday at Old Trafford. Man United, Man City was a very disappointing game. But yeah, we'll have a quick chat about that as well. And then, yeah, we will look ahead at the games coming up. So yeah, lots of different things to cover, even though it has been that kind of boring international week uh, but I, I actually want to kind of start with the takeover stuff like I said I had hoped that this was going to be we could make a big announcement um, and there hasn't been but yeah look let's get that kind of stuff out of the way I still think this is the most important thing for our club you know we can talk about the manager players injuries what's going on but for me the ownership situation is the number one most important thing for how our club goes forward um i've been pretty clear on this podcast for months that i thought the qatari sheikh jassim deal was the best one for the club because he wanted to do the full takeover he was going to clear the debts go into stadium um but yeah look i'm still open i'm still open to this ineos 25 percent deal he's not as exciting it's not as good because the glazers are still saying the debt still stays a lot of question marks over what happens with the stadium but it's still a lot better than where we were at one year ago where we thought there was no chance of getting rid of the glazers a couple of weeks ago you know a lot of the media were saying this deal is going to be done soon i mean now they're saying it's not going to happen this week maybe next week other people are even reporting who knows if it's even going to be this year. But look, the Glazers and Sir Jim Ratcliffe are definitely talking. Uh, it's basically Joel Glazer and Sir Jim Ratcliffe in particular who are face to face on these things. I think they've got some kind of agreement on a price for 25%, but it's the details of ownership, of kind of who's got control over things. Sir Jim wants control over the sporting side. We have seen now Richard Arnold has obviously left the club. Uh, you know, that came kind of out of the blue. And that for me is positive news. You know, I want to see change. I want to see I want to see much bigger change. I want to see everybody gone. We need to get rid of the whole boardroom. We need that's what I really wanted, and that's what I hoped a kind of Qatari bid would bring. We're not gonna get that, but at least if we can have some change on what's been going on, whether it's Arnold, let's see, John Murtor's job must be under question now as well 
there's a lot of names being thrown around, isn't there? I know you always like the kind of transfer muppetry, Jamie. I'm sure you've been getting excited about some of these names getting thrown around about Sporting Director, uh, which was your kind of favourite name that's doing the rounds. I see this just like the transfer rumour mill now. They start linking us with different oh, names. Yeah. Who's it going to be? Uh, you know, you get Paolo Maldini and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to get Maldini in. I reckon, yeah, I reckon he can still do a job for us at left back, but uh, I think they're more... Could, yeah, I was thinking that when I saw his name, I thought, is that as a left back or is that his actual sporting director? Because he probably could still do a job, how short we are. But um, the standout name is Paul Mitchell because he's the guy who was at Monaco. He was the one that's identified so many young talents throughout Europe. He's been successful in his past and he... There's a couple of names being linked. I can't remember the one off the top of my head, but the one who's close to Sir Alex Ferguson, but he's not as high up on the list, I don't, I don't think, and I don't think he should be either. But the likes of Paul Mitchell, I think, would be an excellent choice. Well, and Dougie Friedman keeps getting mentioned Dougie as well. Dougie Friedman. That's that's right. Yeah, he's at um, Crystal Palace. I mean, not as exciting. I say Paul Mitchell exactly. is the favourite. He's yeah. currently out of work, but yeah, we'll see. Friedman's not as yeah, Friedman's not as sexy a name, I don't think, and he probably should still do a job. And that and that's kind of the point. Like, even if it was somebody like him, it's somebody who's coming in and literally doing a job we have not done yet. It would be a total change to the sporting structure. So. Even having somebody in there would, would be beneficial in the short term, but I do think if Mitchell's available and we're starting from scratch with the whole restructuring, go and get him because we can get him now and have a good six, seven, eight months sorting out the whole structure and how it's going to work from that level down towards the manager, how it's going to work with regards to the academy and what the direct route for players coming from the academy into the team is going to be. Uh, Maldini I think would be quite a good name as well because it wasn't like he was bad at AC Milan they were, he had done a very good job at Milan identified some players that took them back towards the top of Serie A and actually helped win the Serie A a couple of years ago back into the Champions League it was so when he left Milan it wasn't necessarily because of a bad job I believe it was over the direction in which Milan were wanting to take and he didn't want to go that way, he didn't agree with it, which is why he left. So even Maldini would would be a good choice, but again, it's 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 the point that we've not had that role properly identified and then acted upon by anybody. So even just putting somebody like Friedman in, if that's who it was, gives a bit more direction and lets us know what we're going to be doing in the future, even if we then identified somebody better for the role in 12 months or 18 months, whatever it may be. So it is exciting because finally we're moving away from transfers that are orientated by the manager and only the manager or some scouts getting a kind of a say in a little bit. It's just nice that we actually will have the same direction that practically every other club in Europe now has. Yeah, I think that is obviously the thing that Ineos and Sir Jim Ratcliffe have identified as being our biggest issue is the transfer market. We've spent huge amounts, wasted a lot of it, and every summer we seem to blow big amounts on players who are not really working out. You know, question marks from this summer over Mason Mount, paid a lot for Rasmus Hoyland, uh, Onana as well, who was available on a free the year before. So yeah, there's 
every summer there's question marks over this. Um, Paul Mitchell is actually mostly known for his kind of recruitment. He was more like a head of recruitment. Uh, he did a lot of good work at Tottenham. I think he was there when they brought in people like uh, Son and Deli Ali. although, yeah, he's kind of lost now, but he was a really good signing at the time. Uh, some other players over there did then some good work in the kind of Red Bull group over at Leipzig. I think he'd previously been recommended to the club when Ralph Rangnick was around. And then, yeah, most recently he was at Monaco, but he said he wants to come back to England. Uh, so, yeah, he is currently available, as I said, as is Paolo Maldini, who left Milan. Uh, then there's also people like this Jean-Claude Blanc, who are linked to us, who is more like kind of CEO, maybe yeah. more like overseeing, more on the commercial side. He was at Juventus previously. He actually currently works for the Ineos Sporting Group and is kind of part of their structure that overlooks, you know, Ineos own Nice, they own Lausanne, kind of smaller Swiss team, but Nice is their big team. So yeah. they already have this kind of structure in place. Uh, there's also Sir uh, Jim Brailsford. Is it Jim? I forget. No, Sir, Sir Brailsford. Yeah, David um, yeah. He's part of that Ineos group, more from the cycling side. And that kind of name doesn't excite me as much, but he's obviously an experienced guy in sports, a lot in, into kind of data analytics, nutrition, this kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, in general, we just want a big change. And yeah. as I say, if Surgeon Ratcliffe can bring that, I'm willing to give him a chance, even though he wasn't my number one choice. And I don't like this 25% deal. But yeah, look, anything is better than what we had before. We know we need change. Let's see what happens. Um, you know, even today, there'd been this vote about kind of interrelated clubs loans you know it's been presented as Newcastle being allowed to loan players from Saudi Arabian clubs you know Ruben Nevers is out there and people are saying they shouldn't be allowed to bring him in because the same company the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia basically own half of the Saudi Premier League and own Newcastle but there's been a vote today and if people don't realize when these big votes happen 14 out of 20 Premier League clubs have to vote for something for it to go through and only 13 have voted for it, seven voted against. I was actually thought that our club might have been one that had voted against this because Ineos obviously own Nice. They obviously own Lausanne. So in the future, they might be looking at these kind of inter-club deals. But apparently we're not. So yeah, that would be a good news if it was true. We know for sure Newcastle, Manchester City, Clubs like Nottingham Forest, where the owner obviously also owns Olympiacos, are definitely on the list. But there's several clubs. It's crazy now. There's about 10 Premier League clubs where their owners have either ownership or interests in other clubs, which is absolutely mental. And we will join that list if Sir Jim comes in, because we'll be part of his kind of group. Uh, but yeah, look, this is the way the game's going now, and there's not much we can do about it, I guess. But yeah, anyway, as I said, I'd held this podcast back because I hoped there was going to be some major news, some announcement on this 25%. There isn't. We're still waiting for it. They're still ironing it out. The media have been talking about a $33 share uh, price that puts a kind of value at about $1.5 billion, similar to what's been talked about between five and six billion pounds for the club. But yeah, look, we wait. We wait and see what happens. They say maybe next week, but they've been saying maybe next week for about six months now. I remember when it first happened and bids came in and they said, oh, this will be done by Easter. Then it was like, this will be done in the closed season after the cup final. Uh, then they were like, oh, it'll be done before the transfer window closes. And now, yeah, we hit one year later and we're still no closer. So, yeah, 
we have to wait and I th- see what I happens. Think I think that just shows you like too many football journalists are the ones that have kind of been constantly egging this. There might be news in the next 10 days, fortnight, whatever it is. And as you said, they've been doing it since February, saying we should have news before Easter, we should have news before the end of the season. There'll be something in the off-season. I can't remember the guy's name, but he works for Sky News. He's one of their finance journalists, and his names went just totally escaped me. But he's the one that's barely reported anything. But when he has reported something, something's then happened. Whether it's been uh, news of Sheikh Jassim pulling out, the news of Sir Jim Ratcliffe's 25% ownership model being accepted, and then the potential people who are incoming. I can't remember his name. I can't check Twitter just now either. But um, he's the one. And as I said, he's not a football journalist. He's a finance journalist. And... Also, Bloomberg seem to be the only other sources that are worth trusting. So any kind of football journalists who are constantly out there peddling, there's going to be news, blah, blah, blah. It's not worth picking up on at all now because yeah, it's, it's totally just agree. nonsense. I mean, they just treat it like the transfer. They literally treat it like, like the transfer, transfer window. window. Yeah. Thrown out rumours. They don't understand it. They, you know, they're out of their comfort zone, sports exactly, journalists, yeah. when they start talking about business. And I know who you mean. Um, this guy from Sky on the finance side. But yeah, also you look at like more like the Financial Times, Bloomberg yeah. for the real info on these things. Um, and yeah, look, there is definitely a deal that is agreed in principle and they are definitely ironing out the kind of fine details of it. But they always say the devil's in the detail. So yeah, who knows how long yeah. that's going to take. It's, it's fans need to remember as well, like, as much as everyone keeps saying, oh, it's only 25%, it's still, like, as you said, potentially a $1.5 billion deal. This yeah. isn't something that you can just throw together and it's done in a fortnight. This is something that, as you said, documents have to be ironclad. Everything has to be absolutely double, triple checked. Know exactly what is going to happen down to the absolute minutiae of detail. So... It's just nonsense when I see football journalists at James Docker coming out and saying, ah, it should be done in the next however. That's just nonsense. Anybody that works in finance knows that's nonsense. So just stop kind of buying into so many football journalists, as you said, that are clearly out of their comfort zone, don't know what they're talking about, just peddling stuff all the time, just to be constantly seen to be doing something. It's the reliable people, like we said, I. Mark something, I think the guy's name is, from Sky News, Bloomberg, Financial Times. They barely report anything, but that's because they know there's nothing worth reporting. There's maybe only two or three times they've said anything, but that's because when they do, there is actually an update. Yeah, so that's it. We wait for the next update, and it's really only when this deal is actually announced, and they'll have to make an official announcement to the stock market because we are listed in the New York Stock Exchange. That's when we'll get any real details of this deal. Uh, still not very clear at all whether Sir Jim is just buying shares from the Glazers, whether he has to buy some of those New York listed shares. And that was some of the complication where there's all these minority yeah. shareholders who are actually small shareholders, but 
mega powerful hedge funds. There's about 10 on the list who are saying, listen, you can't buy their shares. You better give us some money out of this as well. So it's all very messy. And this is the big problem. The Glazers have made the whole structure so complicated. Six Glazers owning shares, some listed out in New York, uh, you know, a UK company. Then there's some kind of Cayman Islands tax yeah. refuge. It's absolutely ridiculous. And that is the big problem. Like, And then that's why Qatar, uh, Sheikh Jassim, the 9-2 Foundation, basically walked away because it was all way too complicated. And anyway, it looked like maybe the Glazers did not want to sell the whole club anyhow. They wanted this kind of minority deal that keeps them in there. And they, you know, for them, it's a, such a win-win. They get the money yeah, and they get somebody yeah. else in to say, right, you sort out the club because, yeah, we now realise we can't. So for them, it's the, such a, it's, it's the perfect deal. But look... We wait and see, and we just hope that Sir Jim can come in, make those changes, and move forward. You kind of think it can't be any worse than it has been. That's what I'm holding on to. Um, but yeah, look, that's the takeover stuff kind of out of the way. Like I say, for me, it is still the most important thing of what's going on at the club. But look, let's talk about a bit of football. Um, it has been a while since the kind of Luton and Copenhagen game. So let's quickly just touch on international break, what our players have been doing. I mean, I'll give you your quick couple of minutes, Jamie, because <laughs> if we're talking about international break, top of the list has to be Scott McTominay. Um, you know, he's like this year, he's a total player, like reborn, really. I remember, and we, we joked about it, we called it Scotland Hour or whatever when you, yeah. we used to talk about <laughs> it before. But you always used to talk about how Scott McTominay plays in a three-man defence for Scotland and we said, you know, for us, he plays defensive midfield. So it's kind of interesting to see him play a different role. He's gone completely the other way. And what, Steve Clark has thrown him in. I mean, what, what role does he play exactly? Is he a number eight? Is he a number 10? Where exactly does he play nowadays for Scotland? Say, I would actually say he's more of a hybrid between the two. Maybe not quite the number 10, but Scotland's kind of real strength apart from left back where they've got Tierney, Robertson and a few other players kind of all chomping at the bit to get in. The strengths in midfield, they've got a lot of good players like Callum McGregor, John McGinn, uh, Scott McTominay, Billy Gilmore. So they've got clear players that they've identified. They're who, that's who's going to sit deep and that's who's almost going to be, so say Gilmore and McGregor might be the other pivot in midfield. So what McTominay can do is rather than having to sit at the base in the midfield, it just gives them a bit more of a free reign to just move up and support the front three. But at times, when we are, say, in possession of the ball and the ball goes wide, he's moving more into a 10 behind whoever it is up front, if it's Che Adams, if it's Lyndon Dykes, if it's um, Lon Shankland had a had a 15-minute spell, I think, on Friday. And it, it's kind of mad, really, because, as we said before, he was constantly playing in the right of a back three, and he's now on the right-hand side, say, of an 8-10 hybrid role, supporting the front three. But then if the, mid if the midfield starts getting flooded, he drops back in. But he isn't the last man before the defence. He isn't even the second last man at times. He's just an extra kind of support role. But he's... He, He's absolutely deadly for us with regards to a goal-scoring threat. He's only the third player ever in a Scotland qualifying campaign to score seven goals, which is mental. So the only two other players that have ever done it was Stephen Fletcher, and that was because I think he scored a hat-trick against whoever it was, San Marino or something like that at the time, and John McGinn done it before. But So, so a midfielder is the third guy ever 
to have scored seven goals for Scotland in a qualifying campaign. He's a legitimate threat from set pieces. He's a legitimate threat when we're on the front foot and attacking the edge of the box. Um, he was actually captain the other night where John McGinn went off injured and I kind of, initially I didn't know who he gave it to because McGinn just kind of walked straight off and gave it to the ref. And then a couple of minutes later, McTominay was taking the throw in and he was actually captain. So it shows you even in the Scotland setup with how much regard he's held by Steve Clark, by even obviously his teammates and what have you. And this is why I'll always support him because I can see, in it, all right, we're nowhere near as good as United should be and what have you, but I can see what he brings. I see what he does and I see how hard he tries and that's why I'll, I'll always give him support because I can see it when he plays for United, but I can also see it when he plays for Scotland. And while he's never going to get ahead of Bruno, he's never going to get ahead of certain players in the midfield or up front, whatever. He's got qualities that are good off the bench. But that's especially the thing. Look, for that's us. the thing. He is ahead of them. He's been starting but, all our yeah. games recently. Eric Ten Hag, you know, it was that Brentford game, right? He was out of favour. He was up for sale in the summer. But he came in in that Brentford game. He scored two late goals. I was there. It was brilliant. Um, and since then, he's kept his place. Yeah. Since then, he's scored more goals. He's got assists. Uh, you know, he's delivering. Um, I think. He, but I think he's got a good. I think as well. Sometimes I read on the forum that you know, if if there's bad headlines about United or, or there's leaks or whatever, he seems to be one of the guys that cops it. And I just don't buy that because I just don't think that's his personality or his attitude at all. Like. I think you put it in the group chat for us on Friday. He had a brilliant uh, press conference after the game because we were playing Georgia, who needed to win the game to have any chance of qualifying for the Euros. In the game, it was it was kind of it was maddening how many times the Georgian players were just throwing themselves to the deck and just trying to buy free kicks and buy fouls. And he went over and spoke to the ref, trying to have a word with them, trying to put a bit of pressure on him, and then doesn't back down in the press match, uh, the press conference after the game immediately saying oh, it's pathetic the way they've played it, it, it's basically worked on the ref because the ref gave loads of fouls against us hasn't gave us any fairness blah 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 and even things like that I'm like I like that in a player and I like that he does that and I like that there's a player like that for Scotland so the two results weren't great on the scheme of things but we'd already qualified and we have actually had three, four, five injuries as well of key players that would have played, so not great results, but kind of like England, I, th- I suppose. Like, is what it is. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're through. We're there anyway. You know what I mean? so, so that's the most important thing. Uh, well, look, that's that's the end of the Scotland with Scott McTominay loving. <laughs> I had to had to give Jamie his few minutes over there, and yeah, look, I'm really happy to see Scott McTominay on form. I've always said myself that he's got a great shot. He actually, I've always loved his kind of post match interviews. Yeah, he's never quite done enough to say he should be a Man United starter all the time even this season you know you talk about passing and things like that he's not on the ball enough but look if he keeps delivering goals keeps delivering assists you I'd can't really argue with it as I said uh, I've said it all along I would definitely keep him we will take Absolutely. a quick break there and come back for the second half of the show for part two of the podcast and yeah we started talking about international break 
we had a nice little Scott McTominay loving there, which we have to have every time <laughs> Jamie's on the podcast. I mean, yes, yeah, flitting around some of the other players, we've we've got some injury doubts. That's the biggest worry when players go on international duty. Onana went off injured at half time for Cameroon. Apparently, he may still be available. We wait and see what Eric Ten Hag says in his press conference. On the plus side, I saw actually that our reserve goalie Bayindir uh, for Turkey, who's not played for us at all yet did start for Turkey. They've got a new manager and have actually been on a good form and are going to qualify for the Euros. And he started for them as they beat Germany the other day. So that's pretty good going. Uh, So yeah, maybe he is somebody who can step up if we need him. Rashford limped out for England in the first game, but didn't then get a few minutes just the other night. So it seems he's okay. He didn't play particularly well, to be honest. Harry Maguire played both matches. Was very, very lucky not to give away a penalty. But yeah, yeah. he's (laughs) still doing all right there. I know Bruno had a couple of good games with a few assists for Portugal. Um, But quite a lot of our players were not playing this international break. So many were injured, whether it was... I mean, yeah, as I said, last podcast, we had Anders on from Denmark. So it was just the kiss of death to the Danish players because next game, Eriksson and Hoyland both kind of went off injured. Uh, But I think Denmark are also through over there, but neither of them were over there. Johnny Evans also got injured just before, was not in international duty. The other one who had a good game was Palestri. He started for Uruguay. Uh, They beat Argentina. Uh, It was the first match Argentina had lost since the World Cup, since winning the World Cup. And he was a big part of that performance over there. Their manager now is Marcelo Bielsa, who I'm sure everybody knows from his uh, Leeds days. And yeah, I'm sure he's going to be learning a lot from there. I mean, he's a player who should has to be getting more minutes for us, I say. He should be ahead of Anthony. He should be getting a chance to start. Uh, you know, we will talk about the other matches, but there was that goal that Bruno scored in the game before, and it was all about the kind of hard work yeah. and pressing that Palestri had done. So yeah, he did well over there, but um, there isn't that many more who've been playing. The only one just to mention as well is Kobe Mainu, who played two games for England youth. Uh, it was actually under 19s, and he's nearly, must be coming back to like nearly full fitness now. He's been slowly worked in, he's mostly been playing youth and reserve games, but it's really good to see him get one start and a sub-appearance for the England youth team. So I hope that, yeah, he can soon be involved over there. But yeah, we do wait and hear what is the updates on people like Onana, people like Hoyland, uh, Ericsson. Uh, they won't all be available this weekend, but yeah, we wait and see. Uh, so yeah, that's the kind of international roundup. But yeah, look, let's talk about those couple of United matches that did happen. We've got the Copenhagen, we've got the Luton. We will also talk about the women's match, the women's Manchester derby. It's going back a while now. As I say, this podcast has been delayed. And uh, it was a mixed bag. As I said, last podcast, we had a big focus on the Danish side because we were going out to Copenhagen away. That was an absolute killer of a game. A lot like yeah. the Galatasaray game. We started well. We thought we'd won this game and then we managed to throw it away. Uh, You know, 4-3 out in Copenhagen. I still, you know, still difficult to look at how we lost this game. So I thought it was the best we'd played for a long, long time. We created loads of chances. Hoyland gets two goals over there. And it's the second time he gets two goals, but nobody's going to remember it because we lose the game. Uh, you know, Bayern Munich, he scored two as well. But we created chances. We were playing well. We absolutely dominated them until the this card. massive, contentious VAR decision. Um, and I know we've discussed it. I think you thought it was a red card, right? Uh, 
not in the sense of in like a traditional tackle. No, I don't think it's a red. But it's one of those that in Europe, I think it will be given. But I've said it for a while now with VAR. You can't, when the ref goes to the screen, it's, it's madness to me that when he's approaching the screen, there's a still image of the impact. So, of course, where Rashford impacts the player is really bad. In the terms of, if you just looked at a still image, yeah, it's really bad. And when he's gone up to the VAR screen to, to review the tackle, they're sitting on a still image is where he's impacted the player. So before the refs even watched a replay of the incident, there's a still image in his head saying, oh yeah, that's where he stood on him. They've then got slow motion, and that, that's not fair either, because literally as he's turning, that's where he puts his foot down. So he doesn't even know the guy's there. And the guy doesn't the other guy doesn't have possession of the ball. Rashford's got possession of the ball. So the only reason I kind of kind of sat and went, I think it's a red, wasn't really because I thought it was a red card. I was just taking into account what had happened at the VAR, what was happening on the replay, and the fact that I just the way things have gone for us this season, I just knew it was going to be red as, as soon as it kind of happened. But I agree with you, for the, for the period up to the red card, it's the best we've played this season, without a doubt. We were very, very good. Hoyland nearly scores a hat-trick, literally just before that happens. Every time we're going forward, we look like scoring, we're playing really well, restricting them to very, very little. And it... This is where it's annoying, like... It was very, it was excellent to the red card. But what worries me about the team is we just don't react to adversity very well. We we immediately kind of crumble. But but in this particular game, I thought the red card was harsh. The penalty, whatever, it, it's one of those. Well, there was two penalties, and, right? There was basically he kind of evened it up. Yeah, and it was two give, dodgy give, penalties. We got one. Yeah. They got one, so we kind of let it off. And I just say, look, they were both crap decisions. I don't think either should be penalties, yeah. but no, all right, we that. evened that out. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I personally think the Rashford red card is absolutely ridiculous, but in this day and age, I can absolutely see why they're given. Um, but yeah, the most disappointing thing was both times we kind of conceded two goals twice yeah. in quick succession. And it happens again and again with our team. But you know, the worst thing was we came out after conceding those two goals right at the end of the first half, well we played again. we played really well at the start of the second half yeah. and actually end up going 3-2 up. And you think, brilliant. Like, you cannot ask it. We were 10 men. We went toe-to-toe with them. 3-2 up. Everything's looking good. Then Dallow falls asleep at the back yeah. post. Absolute killer. And then another late goal and, you know, we come out of this game with absolutely nothing. So, yeah, it's absolutely mental. I mean, thankfully... We then roamed on to Luton and did manage to get three points, did manage to get a clean sheet. Yet again, I thought we played pretty well. Yeah, uh, you know, so. we created chances. That's been our biggest problem. I'd said on the last podcast that it had been like several, several games that we hadn't even hit 2xG. We hadn't de- deserved more than one goal in any match. But we did in that Copenhagen game. Luton Town, our XG was 2.74, even though, yeah, we come out with one goal, but we did create chances. We absolutely dominated them, and they hardly had anything. 0.4 for Luton. We absolutely had to win that game. I mean, it is weird, again, that we actually end up winning that game via the most unlikely of sources, as uh, Victor Lindelof steps up and scores for us. And his, his 
it's not the first time, you know, Harry Maguire yeah. has won games for us, Dallo has won games for us, you know, it's the most unlikely of sources. We're still waiting for the goals that we expect from Hoyland, from Rashford, from Bruno, from Anthony. You know, these are the guys who are not delivering. That's, but... that's, that's what's killing us more than anything. It's, it's, I saw a stat the other day, I think the player that's made the most chances in the league this season is Kieran Trippier at Newcastle and it's it's something ridiculous like off the 30 odd chances he's made for teammates scored 16 or 17 goals something like that the next highest on the list is Bruno and it works out as something like 30% of the chances he's making are at like it's actually it might be fewer than that it might be closer to like 20% of all the chances he's making that's all that's getting converted that's it and and that's the problem like if he's still being as creative as he is but we're just missing so many chances that the forwards are lacking so much composure at times it's it's unbelievable and Hoyland is trying I mean even in that Luton game like he has, he has the chance where you know, it's kind of flashed right across and, and he kind of tries to, like, belly it in, if you like, and, and the keeper kind of gets across and gets a hand to it. But other than that, he plays well. He plays Garnacho in with a great pass after a good bit of hold-up play, pings it wide. Garnacho yeah, takes too many, shoots, too, that, yeah. too many touches and, and doesn't score. Second half, there's other chances like that. It's it's You just need, we need the players just to calm down a little bit. They're obviously snatching at chances because they know... They're out of form. They've not scored many goals. But we're starting to make the chances. We're starting to get in good positions. And I think the players just need to relax a little bit. And the goals will come. Yeah, I mean, I think there has been an issue even with chance creation as well. Bruno has not created as many as he has done in the past, even though, yeah, he is creating. But yeah, it's been both. It's been on lack of creation because our XG has been very low. Plus... The chances we have had, we haven't been finishing off. Uh, But yeah, in these last two games we're talking about Copenhagen and Luton, it was the most chances we'd created for quite a while. So that was looking good. And I think we'd said on the game before that, you know, we need Bruno in that number 10. That's where he's best. That's where he does his best things. And yeah, he needs to just stay there. He's been shifted around too much. But yeah, get Bruno back in that position. Let him create an understanding with Hoyland. And I think those goals are going to come. I mean, that was the biggest negative from this Luton game was that Hoyland and Eriksson went off with injuries. Uh, I think Eriksson's is worse and Hoyland may be available. Neither of them went out on international duty. As I say, we're only recording this on Tuesday, so we have to wait and see what Eric Ten Hag has to say later in the week. They are definitely injury doubts. I mean, I really do not want to be going back to seeing Anthony Martial (laughs) up front because he's just offering so little for us nowadays. Um, And yeah, you know, I said in the summer, that for me, the number one priority, I thought we needed another striker. I thought we went into this season very light up front for me to go in with Martial, who's a massive sick note. He's actually been fitter than he has been for a long time, but not offering much and with a real like unproven talent. He's a talent, but he's totally unproven. Like Hoyland, for me, that was not enough. I mean, I know Rashford can play up front and we have other kind of options. But yeah, for me, we, we went into this season light up front. And for me, in the January window, it has to be the number one priority if we're looking at anything. Like, of course, the ownership situation will affect that massively. But for me, it's still where we really do need some kind of help. Uh, and yeah, 
I know when we get to that transfer window, it'll be your time to shine, oh, yeah. Jamie. And no, that's my time of the us. season. Yeah. <laughs> You'll come and give us all the lowdown of what's going on and who's available. Yeah, but for me, striker, we still need a striker. That's why uh, in the summer, the summer, the one player that I was amazed we didn't look at to go and get, because we'd bought Hoyland and, and that was the kind of long-term option. I said it in the chat the other day. Somebody like Olivier Giroud is just tailor-made for the squad, I think. Like, Derek, he's, in fact, he's exactly the kind of player we have gone for. Uh, yeah, exactly, but the problem yeah. was... We went for these players as first choices, Cavani, Zlatan, yeah. Ronaldo. Uh, but for me to bring in a player like that, who Hoyland can learn from, absolutely, who can come in from yeah. the bench, rotate with him, will be absolutely ideal. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if he's an option. I know there's a lot of talk now all of a sudden that Ivan Tony will be available again after his kind of suspension. That'll be, but, that'll be so much money, that. That'll be so yeah, much well, that's money. it. So much of it is going to rely on our ownership situation. Like, there's no way we're going to be looking at somebody like that unless Ratcliffe comes in and puts some kind of cash injection in for the January window. And I doubt it. Actually, I doubt it. I think expecting such huge changes uh, in just a few... It's, it's a few weeks away. You know, we're already last week, yeah, coming exactly. up to last week of November. So, yeah, it's literally like five, six weeks away. I don't think we can expect that much in this window. We have to see what happens. And I know as well there's links to players going out, like people are talking about Varane, just talking about Casemiro being linked to going out to Saudi Arabia. I'm, I don't know if there's any truth to these things. I mean, I did see an interview that Rafael Varane did, and he said, I do not see myself playing the rest of my career anywhere apart from Manchester, Madrid, or Lons, which is the French club where he kind of started his career. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I'll not be playing anywhere apart from these three teams because he was linked with a move to Saudi even in the summer. But yeah, who knows? We shall see. Maybe he'll still just, think that just, payday just is quickly, worthwhile. Just quickly on Varane. Um, I did hear something interesting uh, that Carl Anker said from uh, The Athletic. And he said... There has, as far as he knows, there hasn't been a fallout with Ten Hag or anything like that. He said that the reason he's not playing as much is because Ten Hag firmly believes that Varane is better as the right centre-back option. But when Varane's playing as the right centre-back option, he either needs Martinez or Luke Shaw playing as left centre-back. He immediately feels that if it's Johnny Evans, who's a good passer of the ball but a bit slower, or it's Lindelof, that the option on the right centre back has to be Maguire, because he's a little bit quicker, and he's a and this is what Ten Hag believes supposedly, is that Maguire's a better passer of the ball, that Varane's a better defender in terms of box area, he's better at defending, but when it comes to progression, Maguire's slightly better which is why Maguire's playing, and he's playing well, so you can't really just take him out of the team. Yeah, but to be he fair, he's played well, and he's actually he been absolutely brilliant, Harry Maguire, on these long kind of diagonals of switching yeah, play exactly. very quickly. He's done brilliantly at that while he's been back in the team. And I actually think way too much has been made of this, like Varane being out of the team. Like For me, Harry Maguire came in when Varane was injured. He played very well. So it's fine that he stays in the team. And yeah. I do put a lot into that. I think I don't like this whole thing. And it, I remember we had all this under Louis van Gaal where he talked about left-sided defenders, right-sided defenders. Yeah. He wanted a left footer. He wanted a right footer. That, to me, is a bit whatever. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense. But, yeah, look, 
these guys know more than we do. But I do totally believe in partnerships, especially in places like centre-back, that, you know, even if you might say that Varane is obviously a way better player than Johnny Evans, but Maguire and Evans can be a better partnership than Maguire and Varane. And that does make sense to me, that certain players are good partnerships. It's not just about who are the best two players. Exactly, it's about yeah. who are the two who really complement each other. And he said oh, that's yeah, why... And I'm absolutely fine with that. That, to me, is logical. And I don't have any issue with uh, Rafael Varane being left out. I don't think there's been some big fallout. People are all, you know, always this happens. The newspapers start talking. Yeah. Fans start talking. They start putting one and one and making five and saying, right, Varane's pissed off. He wants to go to Saudi Arabia. At the same time, if a decent bid came in for Rafael Varane from Saudi Arabia at his age, with his injury record, I would happily take it. But he has to be replaced. Same exactly, with Casemiro. Yeah. He has to be replaced. We can't just be getting rid of these players and bringing nobody in. With our kind of injury situation, we cannot be losing players. We need more players. And, you know, it's been an absolute nightmare. And it was proven as well. There was a chart just put out. I put it out on Twitter today showing that we do officially have the most injuries of any Premier League club this season. Uh, There was an official list put out. Uh, We were joint with somebody else. I think it might have been Newcastle. But that was just yeah, number of injuries. It was, it was number yeah. of injuries. And some of ours have been so long-term that ours is definitely even worse. And, you know, as I've said on this podcast for a while, that for me, the number one problem this season that explains most of our issues is all down to injuries. Uh, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is that Luke Shaw is back in training. He may even be available this week. Uh, as I said, Kobe Minu has been playing more matches he may be available again but yeah we wait to hear on some of the other players we will take another break there come back for the last part of the show where we'll talk about the women's super league and look at the Ghana games coming up which are Everton and Galatasaray back for part three and the last part of the show over here Uh, so yeah Sunday I was at Old Trafford for the women's Manchester derby. It was a big occasion, a record attendance. Uh, 45,000 tickets were sold for this, which is brilliant to see. Uh, it's actually a bit of a shame it wasn't a little bit more because Arsenal still hold the record WSL attendance. I think they'd had something around 50,000 or maybe even slightly more than that. So, yeah, we didn't manage to beat that. and I kind of hope we would. But, yeah. It's a good amount of tickets sold. As I said, last season, United played. United women played at Old Trafford against Aston Villa and 30,000 people came. This season, we got 45,000. So it shows the demand is rising. The interest is rising. The only killer was that our team were absolutely useless. Um, maybe Old Trafford is the curse this season. You know, our men have not had a good record at Old Trafford yeah. this year. The women showed up there for their big event against Manchester City, our big rivals, and they did not deserve anything from that. It was a real shame. Um, I went with my daughter. She still enjoyed it. I know a couple of other the podcast guys, Alex and Ed, also took their kids for their first ever matches. My daughter's done a few matches. She did a 
her Premier League debut a couple of months ago and she's done some women's games before. So it wasn't her first time. Um, but yeah, I know that Ed and Alex took their kids for the first time and they said, look, they still enjoyed the day, enjoyed the experience, even though it was absolutely pissing it down with rain. You know, they had to, United had talked about setting up this kind of family fan zone with like music and things to get like families into it. But that was all a write-off because it was just pouring and pouring with rain. Um but yeah, the worst thing was the match. And the worst thing was that United actually went one up. Uh, we didn't start the game well, but we got a penalty absolutely deservedly. Katie Zellum, our captain, put it away. We then had another chance. The ball was back in the net from our new Brazilian striker, Jay-Z. And it was, it, was, it was exactly similar to, you know, Rashford earlier in the season where it wasn't clear if the ball had stayed in or gone oh, out. Yeah. And they called it out disallowed this goal that would have been us 2-0 up within minutes City equalise and within literally 90 seconds after that they go 2-1 up themselves we should have been 2-0 and within 5 minutes we're losing 2-1 so yeah that was the killer at half time Uh, and then yeah second half we did not play well we didn't deserve anything a mess up between Mary Earps in goal and Maya Letizia who are two of our kind of lionesses uh, gave a, another third goal to the Manchester City striker, Bunny Shaw. She's a Jamaican international. And yeah, 3-1 it was. Later on, City had a player sent off. We started making some chances then, but that was the only point we really came into the game. and Didn't really do enough at all. So yeah, really disappointing. Uh, as I said, it was still a good day out, enjoyable seeing the crowd there. There's actually a pretty decent atmosphere, more than I kind of expected, because... At the women's games, there's always more families, more children, because the tickets are cheap, even though they've gone up in price. Uh, there's like 15 quid for adults, 750 for children. And, you know, a Premier League game, you're paying more like 40, 50 quid. Even, and you can't even get kids' tickets. There's such a small amount of kids' tickets available for Premier League games. You're lucky to get one. When my daughter went earlier this season, I had to pay 40 quid for her ticket. So, yeah, to pay 750 for her to go to Old Trafford compared to 40 quid for the Premier League is brilliant. But the women's demand is going up. The prices are also going up. And that's probably good for the women's game. They need, you know, more money in there to invest in the infrastructure around the women's game. The one other cool thing on the women's stuff is that they don't have VAR. That's one of the big yeah. bonuses for me. It means you can actually, when we score, you can celebrate the goal without worrying about it. And yeah, it's a bit of a killer that that goal for Jay-Z was chalked off because I think replays probably show that it probably was just about in. But I don't mind it. When there's no VAR, I don't have an issue with the ref making a difficult decision yeah. then. It was difficult. It's, it was very close. Even with loads of replays, it's not that clear. So when there's no VR, I don't have a problem with it. The problem you have is when they take five minutes to look at 20 replays and still get it wrong. So yeah, that is one bonus for the kind of women's game at the moment. They don't have VAR. There's also, you know, another things you don't get that much play acting and whatever. But look, the big disappointment, like I say, was we lost this game. We've now fallen into fourth place. We've fallen behind Manchester City. We need to catch up in the Champions League race. It is still early days in the women's Super League season. And we are only one point off the top three, which gets you Champions League. But it is going to be a big fight for that, as it was last season. So, yeah, we have to get back onto that, basically. Um, I think you said you just managed to catch the highlights of this game, right? Yeah, that's right. I wasn't able to tune in and watch it at the time. And yeah, it was disappointing because 
I just expected a little bit more from them, as you said, you know, that it was a big occasion, it was a big chance to show that we're made of. I know they've lost a couple of players, but they did seem as though they've started the season relatively well again. But yeah, it's, it's some of the goals they gave up were really cheap goals as well. And Man City are obviously an excellent team in the women's game as well. And if you're giving good players opportunities like that, it's going to be very, very difficult. And I saw the the opportunity I where it went out and it was called out. And I kind of agree with you. I mean, you can be aggrieved in the moment, but because there isn't any VAR, you just get on with it. You just treat it as, I all right, fine. So That's the way it used to be. You just go, yeah, yeah exactly. look, you, you win some, you lose it. some. Hopefully it evens itself out in the season. Just get on with it. Whereas now we waste so much time watching replays. Then, you know, now we have this ridiculous situation where we start getting replays of hearing what went on in the VAR room. Uh, in fact, did you right hear that? Anyway. Yeah, did you hear that replay? In fact, going back to the Luton game where our McTominay goal was actually chalked off that day, right? Because yeah, they gave uh, yeah. Maguire offside. And that as well, you listen to the whole VAR room conversation and it makes no sense whatsoever to me. We, you kind of listen to what they're saying and it just they come to these conclusions and. I kind of like they're doing that. You kind of hear how they kind of came to that thing. And sometimes you go, all right, I can see some logic to it. But just the whole way it goes about this, it needs huge change in that. You know, they definitely need to change something in this VAR side. I will never be happy with it. It looks like it's not going away. I think we need more ex-players rather than referees involved in these things. You know, they're the ones who can tell you what, whether things are deliberate handball, whether people are really trying to hurt somebody when it's a red card and can tell the difference between things where referees just don't seem to have the brains to be able to differentiate. I also think, though, referees seem to be put under, as I kind of alluded to earlier on, the referees now have, have ended up in a situation where they're terrified now to make mistakes. So the bailout every single time is VAR. But VAR was brought in for clear and obvious errors, but it's now being used to investigate every single thing that happens on the pitch, literally every single thing. Yeah, that's Whether it. The refs, they don't want to make the call. Or whatever. Yeah, they want to and just the, leave it, the, right? They want but, to leave it to VAR. Like, yeah, but I feel like they're under pressure as well because if they leave it to VAR, it's not like... I don't feel like it's a situation where if it goes to VAR, they then call them over to the screen and say, right, let's go through this. What do you think? It's as if they're waiting for VAR to make a decision. So VAR, make a decision and then call the ref over and say, right, we're going to show you this and this is what you're going to see. Yeah. So even the language being used is, is kind of saying to the refs, You've made a mistake. There's the mistake. It's yeah. not actually like watch a replay together and say, uh, "Do we think that's a goal? Yes or no?" It's it's almost predetermined that they've got it wrong. So if they go to the screen, that all that's happening is they've they've been shown their error, and then immediately they're like, "All right, yeah, okay, I agree with that," and go back and reverse the decision or change them, whatever it is. So they should you put said, there needs some to be kind of time change. limit. Right, they should put a time limit yeah, on, on how review. long. Yeah. Right, because when they take like two, three minutes and then tell the referee to come to the screen, that is ridiculous. Yeah, it's a waste like, of time. If you can't make that decision in like maximum 60 seconds, 
get the referee, show him the replay, let him make yeah. his decision. Like, we cannot be taking three, four minutes and then telling the referee to have a look at the screen. No, no, yeah, no. Let's, we, let's get rid of that. They need to totally reform the whole VAR thing. Uh, well, look, anyway, the next two games coming up, we've got Everton and then Galatasaray. We've actually got... Uh, I think three, maybe even four away games in a row now. Yeah, I think we play it all Trafford once in the next four games. Or yeah, something Everton, like. Galatasaray, Newcastle uh, in the middle. Yeah, we do have some other games. But yeah, we're playing a lot of away games. Not None of these are going to be easy either. Everton, of course, have had this crazy 10-point uh-huh. deduction. And the most crazy thing about it is the likes of Manchester City and even Chelsea are now being investigated, are just sitting around laughing about this. Uh, you know, let's not forget those 100-plus allegations against Manchester <laughs> City, whereas, you know, Everton are the ones who get punished. 10 points, first time, biggest ever Premier League kind of point deduction. And this is worse than a new manager bounce. You know, we had this, we oh, had this yeah. joke last season that we every time we played somebody, they had a new manager. Uh, Everton and it's under Sean Dyche, who's actually got them playing relatively decently Not after bad, a poor start yeah. to the season. They're going to be absolutely crazy now. They're going to say the whole world is against us. And of course, we are the ones who are rolling out to Goodison Park. But yeah, I mean, look, this is crazy for Everton. Um what you know, they've been in better form recently, haven't they, Everton? Yeah, I mean, as you already kind of alluded to, the start of the season wasn't great. They were kind of all over the place right up until the end of September. But after they got beat by Luton Town, they've literally went on a run where they've beat Bournemouth, they've beat West Ham, they've beat Burnley, drew with Brighton, beat Palace away. They're playing a lot better. So credit has to go to Sean Dyche because after three games at the start of the season, you genuinely thought they might be in a bit of bother with the way they were playing. They weren't scoring any goals. They couldn't keep quite sheets. But they're now, I think, just to double-check, they've scored three. I think it's one, two, three, four times in the last ten games they've scored three goals. So they clearly don't have an issue now scoring goals. And they've been a lot better defensively as well. So... Coupled with that, and as you said, it's going to be an absolute bear pit on Sunday at Goodison Park with what's happened to them in the last week or so. And it's going to be bloody hard to go there and get a result on Sunday. Yeah, we we did not need that. But yeah, that's what we have to deal with. That's what we have to roll out to. Uh, our old boy James Garner is an integral part of that team now. He's starting every game, doing pretty well. And, you know, nice to see him doing well. I hope he doesn't do well against us. You know, it was like uh, Chong and Mengi all of a sudden turned into world-class players when they showed up for Luton. I thought they played well, yeah. Uh, Chong came off the bench, but he could have actually scored for them. Uh, Mengi had a pretty good game in defence so yeah that's what always happens our old boys coming back to haunt us but yeah that Everton game is first up then we've got Galatasaray which is now you you often say must win but for the Champions League it is a must win there's no doubt about it we lost to them at home we've lost to Copenhagen away if we want any chance of getting out of this Champions League group we have to beat Galatasaray our last game is Bayern Munich uh, at home Um, but yeah Galatasaray has to be a win and 
We don't have a good record in Turkey. Not at all. I actually did Galatasaray away. I think it was 2012, I'm going to say, 2012. And it was exactly this time of year, November 2012. We lost to Galatasaray. I think at the time it wasn't that important because I think we'd won nearly all our games and we were already through. And both us and Galatasaray went through from the group that year. But I remember being in that stadium, which is an absolute cauldron. You know, they'll get their tifos out they'll have flares everywhere the fans are absolutely mental brilliant it wasn't you know you can only respect the atmosphere that they generate but yeah we lost that game and not for the first time losing out in turkey uh so yeah we were I, I can't you know we're not going to be the favorites for this game uh i mean i don't know if you had a look at what galatasaray's recent league form has been yeah and unfortunately it's it's kind of pretty grim reading for us as well i mean they actually lost their last game before the international break, 2-1 away, but that is the only domestic game they've lost this season. They've won every other game. Uh, they've actually ran Bayern close twice. They lost 3-1 at home and then lost 2-1 away, but it was it was close. They drew with Copenhagen, though, at home, and Copenhagen actually got reduced to 10 men, but again, you're going back to September for that. So they're certainly in better form now, and as I said, it's more of a, it's more concerning how much of a scare they gave Bayern Munich, really, than anything, because obviously they're the best team in the group and Bayern kind of struggled to get by them twice. So, as you said, coupled with everything else, how, how intense the atmosphere is going to be, we don't really travel well to Turkey in the first place. And with their form... I, <laughs> After the Copenhagen result, I kind of reduced myself to that's it, we're not going through. Mm. Because I just thought it's going to be really, really tough to go to Turkey and get a win. And then obviously we still got Bayern at home to play on top of that as well. It's just, I, I'm more confident for Everton, put it that way. I'm, I'm really not confident going to Turkey uh, next week. Yeah, look, I totally feel that. Like I say, both games are going to be incredibly difficult to go and play over there. Uh, Two away games, Goodison and the Istanbul Stadium. It's going to be mental. And as I say, we've got a load of away games now. Although in, in a way, we haven't had a brilliant record at Old Trafford this season, even though we had one a couple more recently. Uh, our away form had actually been better. So yeah, maybe it's a blessing. But, you know, I wait and see what players are back from injury. That's going to be a big kind of difference to see what we do over there. But, yeah, it's not the games we kind of wanted to be going up. But, yeah, it is what it is. And, yeah, even then, even like if we lost to Galatasaray, we'd still have to win a game against Bayern even to get in the Europa League. You know, even that is in doubt. We could easily finish bottom of this group easily. you know, as I say, Turkey away, Istanbul away, Galatasaray and Bayern Munich at home. You wouldn't be surprised if we lose both of those. And that'll get us crashing straight out of Europe. You know, and there's already been questions about Ten Hag's job. I personally, I'm not questioning him. I think he's had too much stuff out of his control with injuries, off-field issues. And yeah, I'm happy to kind of stick with him. But I totally understand that people are asking those questions. And if we crash out of Europe completely there's going to be big, big pressure coming on him from over there. Um, You know, at least the league form is keeping us going. We have had some decent results, even if they're just against weaker teams. We are kind of, you know, back in the mix for that kind of top four race. 
people keep talking about top five race this season. It is possible that there's a fifth Champions League place for the Premier League, but it's by no means guaranteed. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, have not understood that how English teams perform in Europe this season, and it's all English teams, Champions League, Europa League, even Europa Conference, will decide who gets that extra place. It's going to be the top two countries based on coefficient who'll get an extra Champions League space. Um, England would have got this space, I think something like four out of the last five years. But right now, because we're not doing very well for a start, Newcastle, even though they beat Paris, are not doing that well. England, I think, are only something like the sixth country right now based on coefficients. Uh, so, yeah, everything depends on whether it'll end up being a fifth Champions League place or not. So at the moment, we can only still talk about top four. And as I say, we've had a decent run. You know, it's weird actually to say they've been putting out those things and saying on the past five matches, we're actually the leaders in the form table with uh, yeah, four saw, wins. Yeah. Four doesn't wins. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't seem. Everybody says we're in crisis, worst start to a season ever. And it's true. You can't, you can't avoid those facts. But in the last five Premier League matches, Manchester United have a better record than anybody. Four wins. One loss to Manchester City. So, yeah, look, let's hope we like keep that going because that's the only thing that can save Eric Ten Hag's job. Uh, I think that's round up everything. You know, we touched on a little bit of everything today, right? Going from takeover to the recent matches to the Women's Super League. We will come back for sure after that Galatasaray game. Sometimes, sometimes we'll surprise you and throw in one after Everton and things like that. But yeah, expect us after Galatasaray. As I said, this podcast was delayed for takeover kind of news. I'm still hopeful that we hear something. Anything on that side will give us some hope for big change and getting in these guys. Do please head over, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Red Cafe. I know we had some good chat on Red Cafe net last after the last match there's always a thread over there where people are chatting about the podcast so if you've not been over have a look on red cafe there's always some interesting things going on in the uh, discussion forums over there i know jamie i saw you talking today about your there's a thread wasn't there about uh, playing the playing 40s, in your yeah yeah, yeah. A guy had started <laughs> a thread saying does anyone still play football in their 40s and i know you chipped in even though you're not in your 40s yet i said jamie this thread is not for you <laughs> uh, i of course am in that age group and i'm still managing to roll out at least once a week if not twice uh you're saying what you still play football three times a week yeah, it's twice at the moment, but sometimes it has been as much as three, and that's why when I saw, I can't remember who started the thread, but I just said the only advice I can give you, having had injuries over the last year or so, is definitely warm up properly, definitely take it seriously, even if it's just a kickabout at fives, and uh, I think it was Lash said as well, make sure they're good guys that you can go and have a beer with and stuff like that after it, and that's all definitely true. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose I'll only be able to go back in that thread in eight years' time. Yeah, exactly. I suppose it was an over forties thread. Uh, but yeah, look, I am still playing football myself. I love playing. Uh, my body now only allows me. I play once a week. I try and play twice a week. I need at least kind of two days minimum recovery time every time I play. Now my body's telling me. But yeah, as long as I can keep going, I will keep still doing it. Uh, and yeah, nowadays there's veterans leagues and things like that. So yeah, there's plenty of options for people to keep playing. I'm not quite ready for walking football, uh, but no, yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> one day we might I try, get I try into to that. Play, I try to play that once against. 
there was a team we were playing and they did both like walking football and normal league football. So for the last 15 minutes of a kickabout one week, we done a walking football session and it was kind of, it was really difficult to resist the urge not to run. And it seems quite difficult actually, but yeah, not nowhere near that point at the moment, I don't think. Yeah, normally I'm I'm not I don't want to be thinking about playing that, but I did play last night in fact, and there was way too many twenty year olds running around, way too energetic, and I did think yeah yeah maybe maybe we need to get onto walking football, uh, but yeah as I said I said in that thread if you can still keep playing if your body's still allowing you keep going as long as you yeah, can. Definitely. Uh, but there's yeah, nothing, there's not there's nothing like playing as you said like you can watch all the football you want, but there's nothing like playing. Yeah, absolutely. I still love it. I'll keep going as my as long as my body allows it. That is it from us this week. As I say, we will come back definitely after Galatasaray. If you're lucky, we may see you sooner than that. And uh, yeah, from apart from that, good night. Night trips. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.